He's got a beautiful backswing. That's, oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. What is up, everybody? Welcome back into the 73rd hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Colby Powell, Taylor Williams, Sam Humphreys with you on a Monday, a Sam Burns Monday. It's going to be a great week. We've got five days of golf this week, WGC Dell Technologies match play. We've got a big announcement coming later in the week. We've got a big show coming next week. we got a lot of big things going on as we make our way toward the Masters. Gentlemen. Sam Burns, who, if you remember, whenever we did our season preview show, my uh, off-the-radar pick was Sam Burns to win the most tour events this year. He's at one, back-to-back at the Valspar. Sam, is my memory foggy, or did you pick him in the one-and-done? I'm back on my heater now, boys. I'm back on the heater. I picked (laughs) Sam Burns, and the only reason why he won was because I was not rooting for him on Sunday. I was rooting for my boy Davis Riley to get his first win on Sunday. Even though you had Burns in the one-and-done? Yeah, you know. That's selfless. It was selfless of me because I wanted Davis to break through and other than the triple, I mean, I was I was astounded by how he responded. It was really, really positive uh, on that front. But man, T-Dub, you know, watching that down the stretch, there were so many guys that had a chance to win and had putts at it on 18 in regulation. I mean, you had Burns, Riley, Thomas, Neesmith all have putts at it on 18, or I guess Thomas didn't really have a birdie putt on 18. We can get into that. Uh, Thomas made some mistakes on the back nine, but what were your overall thoughts about the Valspar, T-Dub? Yeah, so, I mean, we're getting into Sam Burns here, moved back up to number 10 in the world. You know, Colt, you, it seems like Sam and Colby were really high on Sam going into the year. I was kind of a little, I didn't think he would keep this heater going on that he had, and, you know, just going back, looking on the world rankings and some of his events, it seems like he's just a guy who, just rides the wave. I mean, we're looking at from the farmers um, and the waste management of the Genesis this year, he missed a cut three straight events to the exact same thing in the middle of last year as well. But then when he just gets on heaters, he just goes, guys, finished ninth at, uh, at the Arnold Palmer, 26 last week at the players, but that was almost like a um, not a backdoor, so that'd be a front door T26 because he was leading the whole way and fell apart. And then ends up winning this week and obviously won here last year. So definitely shows he loves um, Innisburg for any stretch. And you know, go back to Colby's point, you know, said he would win the most this year. He already won the uh, the first tour event of the year at San, or it might have been the second or third event, Sanderson Farm. So he's already got two events this year in the fall. So I think Sam Burns is on his way to definitely making the President's Cup team, unlike the Ryder Cup team, like he did last year. But just getting into um, the event so far, guys, just like analytics-wise, you know, looking yesterday, of the, of the four guys who really had a chance to win, you had Burns, Davis Riley, JT, Matthew Neesmith, I'm going to say, Fitzpatrick, Brian Harmon never really had a chance. They were kind of just floating around there. But Matthew Neesmith lost 1.41 putting. JT uh, lost just a little bit putting. Davis Riley lost uh, 0.63 putting. Sam Burns yesterday gained 2.07 putting. So definitely, you know, know, all Azinger kept saying during the telecast, oh, uh, Sam Burns is making all the putts. He's got to be the guy to win. Well, yeah, because he was making all the putts, especially comparatively to all the other guys out there. But, you know, guys, I want to get your take on this. It's the second event in a row that that uh, the that the winner Cam Smith did the same thing last week actually lost strokes off the tee. So I mean, do you think it's just something that's happened with the last couple weeks on um, on the course setup? Is it just the way that the game's going? You know, you just got to make putts to win. I don't know. What what are you guys' thoughts on the fact that we're at the second straight week where the the winner hasn't really had their best stuff off the tee? No, I think it's a little bit of an anomaly, T-Dub. If I look at Cam Smith's stats on the year, he's gaining .32 off the tee and .34 putting. Now, here is where he's really improved on the year is strokes gained approach and around the green. If I look at his around the green stats in 2019 when he first got on the PGA Tour, he lost almost a half a shot in 2019 and 2020 around the green and then strokes gained approach in those same years uh, were not very good as well about the same almost a half a shot each Uh, but 
in 2021 and 2022. Strokes gained approach, he's gaining over half a shot in 2021 and .72 strokes gained approach in, uh, in 2022. So basically what I'm saying is Sam Burns is one of the most consistent players on the PGA Tour. I mean, I gave the stat that ever since the uh, 2021 Tour Championship, he only has seven rounds where he's actually lost shots to the field in any given round. So, T-Dub, to me, I feel like it's a little bit of an anomaly, but you're right that he won the tournament with his putting. And, you know, Cam Smith did the exact same thing last week. And, you know, I, I feel like Davis Riley really had, you know, the best chance to win this tournament. But, you know, he had the big, big triple bogey uh, there on the front nine. And so I think that's where, you know, it kind of took him – from, you know, maybe being able to dominate the tournament and ended up in the playoff and didn't get the job done. Yeah, and, you know, Victor Hovland remains the last guy to make a triple in the final round and win the golf tournament. The 2020 Puerto Rico Open, his mm -hmm. first win whenever he had the, the chipping yips on the 11th or 12th hole and ended up making a triple. But Sam Burns, you Taylor, you talked about his strokes gained putting yesterday, and it was all on the back nine. On the front nine, Sam Burns gained .06 strokes putting. On the back nine, he gained 2.02. So it, it was the back nine, he had a uh, nearly a 12-footer on number 10, a 15-footer on 12, uh, the big 9-footer for bogey on 17, and that was a huge putt because if he makes double there, all of a sudden the C-word gets brought into play if you make double there. To step up and catch that 9-footer, Sam, was and, clutch, clutch, clutch. And Colby, I thought his putt was going in on 18 in regulation Yeah, it was a good well. putt. It was and, a much better putt than Davis Riley hit from the same spot, which he started 6 inches right and just never came back. Right, and, and to those putting stats, I mean, the one in the playoff didn't even count. And yeah. they, those were yeah. that good, and it didn't even count because it was off the green. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So, uh, I mean, Taylor, it's just back nine clutch for Sam Burns. And here's my stat of the day, Taylor. How about this? Sam Burns has now won three times on the PGA Tour, and he's won the Valspar Championship twice since Justin Thomas last won on the PGA Tour, since Brooks Kepka last wow. won on the PGA Tour, and since Dustin Johnson last won on the PGA Tour. Sam Burns... A, loves him some Valspar, and B, he's just a winner. Taylor, here is the stat. Dustin Johnson has fallen outside the top 10 in the world for the first time in seven years to make way for Sam Burns, who is up to number 10. Taylor, if I would have told you after the 2020 Masters that Sam Burns would win three times before DJ won again and DJ would fall outside the top 10 within a year and a half, I, you would have thought I was a little crazy, right? I would have thought that uh, DJ went on a permanent uh, bachelor party or bachelor party, whatever <laughs> it is, with Paulina and never came back. That would have been about the only reason I would have thought that. But, you know, guys, I mean, I think that's just another testament to, you know, all the guys you mentioned there. Kobe mentioned JT and DJ, obviously. But, you know, we, we've even talked about before, guys, where uh, John Rom, number one player in the world, has a tough time winning. So, you know, I think that we're just getting into this new age of, of, you know, th these guys, it just shows how hard it is to win, and some guys are able to do it multiple times. You know, you got your Sam Burns, you know, Hideki's been able to win. Scotty Scheffler up to number five, in the, or, yeah, number five in the world. Been able to win a couple times. Obviously, Cam Smith won the uh, tournament champions and the players this year. But, but yeah, guys, I think – and then, obviously, you know, Hovland's third in the world. He's won – still has yet to win the United States, but still won three times within the last uh, four months or whatever it is. So, so yeah, that's very interesting that, that some of these guys, for whatever reason – just haven't been able to hoist the trophies. Um, definitely something that I think they'll need to uh, kind of look at themselves at. And, you know, I think a good example of that, guys, is, you know, Justin Thomas. Because, you know, if you would have told me that Justin Thomas would have had a chance to win the tournament, he was going to birdie 13 and 14 back-to-back. -back, and then you would have told me he's going to miss the green on 15 right. He's going to hit his drive in the middle of the fairway on 16 and miss with a wedge right. He's going to miss way left on 17. And then he's not even going to have a chance to hit the green on 18. I think it's a dang miracle that he made four pars on those four holes down the stretch. But I think I think Justin Thomas is the main guy who's got to be kicking himself here because he had a chance to win this tournament or at least definitely get in the playoff. And, and guys, those last four holes in particular. And then we can even go back to the 11th hole where he, he kind of hit his layup a little too far into a little bit of a hole and made a bogey from about 50 yards out. So, But, I mean, Justin Thomas seemed like he had all the chances to win this tournament, guys. And he just – I'm not going to use the word choke. I don't think it was that bad. But – you can definitely tell his swing was a little goosey on, on those last four holes. Though. 
Yeah, I, I still think that Davis Riley has to be kicking himself more than anybody in this tournament. I mean, he, he played such solid golf, and his swing looked so well. So he was swinging it so well. And on 17, how about the onions from Davis Riley to step up there and make birdie on 17? What a shot. Cl- Closest nice shot little, of the day. Nice little draw in there to like six feet or something like that and rolls it right in there. And man, Hit it he, to six feet, two inches. Closest hit, of the day at 17. He hit a really good shot into 18 as well is just a little too far but man it was right over the flag in regulation um but you know it 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 was just one of those weeks and uh you know shout out to David and Kim Riley and Caroline his sister uh they were a really close family growing up uh to my family you know traveling around playing some junior tournaments so that that fifth hole yesterday though that fifth hole really got him it really did and I don't know necessarily what he was doing going way way left like that you want want the numbers on it yeah have you seen the uh the overhead shot of where he went I don't think I've seen the overhead no so I'm looking at the strokes gain strokes gain (laughs) approaching the green just on the fifth hole yesterday he lost oh Sam's showing me the uh the overhead I don't know how to explain this but if you want to go on Twitter Dylan Deethier has it on Twitter uh and (laughs) so he goes like kind of like left center of the trees. Then he tries to go down like toward the other tee boxes and hits it way left on the cart path, like pulls the layup shot of going left. So it was left of left. And then obviously, you know, hits it over the green, then chips it over the green, and then ends up making triple. But So, it, so he lost 2.54 shots on approach just on that hole. Just on, he lost 3.09 strokes tee to green just on that one hole. And, I mean, Taylor, you make a big number like that in the final round. I mean, that's the difference in hoisting a trophy and not, and that's tough for Davis Riley. But, you know, young guy comes out on tour, you make a big mistake like that, obviously it'll be something that he's going to learn from. But I don't imagine it's going to make it sting any less. I, I will say, you got to give him a lot of credit for battling back because you make a triple on the front nine trying to win your first tour event, 100%. you could easily crumble, Taylor. So I, I was impressed at what he was able to do down the stretch to get in the playoff. And then at that point, you win some, you lose some. Yeah, and you think about it, guys. So he, he starts off the first round with the lead, obviously. And par is the first hole, par five. It was one of the easiest holes of the day, but you can kind of get away with that. Then he makes a couple of pars. Then we step up on on number five, the par five that we were just talking about. And you're thinking, okay, well, let's, you know, we birdie, we're part of the first few holes. Let's go ahead and make make a birdie here to get something rolling. Ends up making it eight, going going three over. And there's a reason you brought up that, that Victor Hovland stack play with Puerto Rico because you don't make triples in the final round and win golf tournaments. That, that just doesn't happen. And so for him to even have a chance to even to even have a – to potentially get in a playoff, let, let alone get in the playoff and – Barring the Sam Burns 35-footer going to make it, he would have had a great chance to win that tournament. So I think Davis Riley showed a lot of minerals these uh, definitely yesterday. And obviously in the third round, because, you know, we were talking, guys, he had 20 putts when he shot 62 on Saturday. 20. 2-0. 20. That is just unheard of. And so I think that, you know, we talked about this a lot, guys, where I think Davis Riley is going to be one of those – you know, and he's going to be a top 20 player in the world at some point, I believe that. And so uh, this is kind of what I believe is just a stepping stone for him to get going. But, and, and, you know, even also, too, just going back, looking on this back nine, he had a really, really bad shot in there on number 12, which he, he hit a layup with an iron into the rough. Yeah. Um, 204 yards hit it in the rough. And then wasn't able to attack that front pin, put it in the greenside bunker, and then made a kind of a sloppy bogey. And then after that, you know, he made um, made a par on 14, which no one was able to go for that par five, but still, you know, like JT was able to hit it in there close as well. So Davis Riley definitely had some of his opportunities there, but at the same time, he definitely held his own. And um, I definitely am impressed with what I'm, I'm seeing from him. And I do think, guys, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I do think within about two or three years, he'll be a top 20 player in the world. So T-Dub, out of the guys that have won the most in the past 12 months, you have Hideki Matsuyama, Sam Burns, Patrick Cantlay, and Cam Smith, who have all won three times. Do any of those guys win a major this year? Ooh, that's a tough one right there. Um, you know, I will say this. I think that I think that Burns is driver. I, I think we've seen a little bit of the players and a little bit even yesterday. I think depending on the course, that can get him in some trouble, but he is able to get around it. Um you know, you, you think you think Hideki may have a chance at, at Southern Hills, obviously, or maybe the Country Club at Brookline. It's hard to say that a guy's going to win back-to-back uh, Masters. You got kind of got to throw him out there, and I don't really think that he fits 
on the Open Championship um, weather that can go over there. Um, you got to look at someone like Cantlay, though, out of that group as well because he's top five player in the world, number four. Um, obviously, I picked him last week, and he burned me, so I've got a little bit of a hole there. But out of those guys, I do think dude, Cantlay has probably the most solid game. And I will say this. You know, if Cam Smith can keep that putter rolling like he has been, obviously the putter is one of those things where it's, you know, it's hard to be the overall number one best putter in the world for years to come. But I think Cam Smith has that mentality in with his short game and everything. If I had to pick one person that I think would win a major this year, I'd probably go with Cam. But if you had to say who has the best overall game and the chance to win multiple majors along their entire career, I'd probably go with Cantley, guys. Yeah, I'd probably agree with that. Cantlay has that high-level game for sure, but all these guys have been great winners. By the way, as we were starting the pod this morning, statement released from Sam Burns. I have made the difficult decision to withdraw from the WGC Dell Technologies match play after three long weeks of golf. I feel that taking this week to rest and prepare for the busy stretch ahead is best. I appreciate the support and look forward to seeing everyone soon. So two weeks in a row, guys, we have a winner. And then there's only two days bef- between the next tournament. Last week it was Cam Smith, two days between the Valspar. Yeah. Uh, he, he wasn't going to play that anyway, but he withdraws from the, the match play. And then now Sam Burns has uh, – p- pardon me, I had uh, a phone call coming in there. So, and then Sam Burns wins at the Valspar only two days before the match play starts up. And Austin, he decides to WD, so uh, no Cam, no Sam at the match play. That's – Kind of a little disappointing. It is disappointing, but it makes sense, right? And I think that if he didn't play the weeks coming up to the match play and win, and obviously it's an extended week, the week of the match play down in Austin. And so to me, I think he's making the right decision. And if it, you know, just looking from the outside in, it looks like he's looking forward to uh, to Augusta. Yeah, in, in all honesty, guys, I think that, you know, the match play is, is just one of those things where it's, it, it's, the, it's the placement on the schedule that makes it so hard, right? Because you're two weeks after the Players' Championship and you're two weeks before before Augusta. So, in principle, a lot of guys will will skip the week after the Players and then they will uh, not play the week before, before Augusta. So, if for a lot of people, it makes sense on the schedule. But I think that anyone who either played this week at Innisbrook or, or wants to play the Valero, because a lot of people like to play the week before a, a major to get geared up. I, I don't think you play the match play. And I think we've seen that so far. I think there have been, what, so of 64 players, I think eight of them, maybe nine now, including Sam Burns, have already not, not committed. Rory, Hideki, Cam Smith, um, just to kind of list some of those names there. So, you know, I do think the match play garners a little bit better field than it used to comparatively because, remember, guys, a lot of these people weren't coming because before they went to pool play, um, guys would only play one match before they, um, you know, they could play 12 holes and get sent home and no one wants to do that. So I do think we're guarding a little bit better field, but I do think that if the match play, which, which this also bugs me just because it is the only match play tournament that we have on the PGA tour. I just wish it was at a different time of the season. That way we could get the full echelon, on the top official 64 players in the world to do a full straight match play tournament. And so, I do think that for the players, it's definitely advantageous for them to not play this tournament. But from a viewer's perspective, I wish they would change the match play to a different time of the year, guys. Sam, I mean, I, I don't know. I, yes, it could probably be in a better place in the schedule. I understand why they put it where they do. They're trying to get some good golf before the majors because after the majors, then you kind of get into the, the FedEx Cup playoffs. But you could find a spot for it in, man, I don't know, because you've got, I mean, April is Masters. May is PGA, June U.S. Open, July's Open, and then now the FedEx Cup playoffs have been moved up to August to avoid football. So, I mean, I guess there is kind of a a dull stretch maybe between the U.S. Open and the Open Championship where you could fit it in. It's just, I don't know, unless you're doing it early in the season before you get going with the players and the Masters and stuff. I mean, every month there's a big event, so it's it's hard sometimes to squeeze some of these other events in a good place on the schedule. It is a little weird. I think most of the time you see guys at – you know, the players now that they moved it, it used to be Bay Hill, but, you know, it, it's like you, the last time you see the big-name elite guys is at those two tournaments, and then, you know, obviously the Valspar, the match play, and then San Antonio, most guys aren't going to go, uh, you know, the top 10 guys aren't going to go to those tournaments before Augusta, and so it, it's kind of a, it, the tour kind of puts a, 
a weird schedule together before Augusta to me. I mean, to have San Antonio the week before Augusta, that doesn't make much sense to me either. And to have a match play tournament the week before that, you you would think that they would give the guys like like it used to be, like the Houston Open, it was similar grass to what Augusta is. And so it's kind of different uh, when it comes to uh, the schedule nowadays, right, T-Dub? Yeah, and, and, you know, I'll say this. I played that, that Oaks course down there in San Antonio, and that is no, – I mean, it is so dissimilar to Augusta. It's not even funny. I mean, they're not even the same. Like, you would have thought these courses were built on two different planets. That's how different they are. So, I mean, like, you make a great point, Sam, that Houston had the same grass um, back in the day, back when Phil won the Bell South Classic by 13 strokes. That tournament was in yep. Georgia. What used Very to be, similar to Augusta. used to be Redstone, so, and now it's uh, Golf Club of Houston, but – Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the Houston Open. I was referring to the. This is old school. We're talking way back early two thousands with the Bell South. So, right, right, right. You know, right. it's uh, yeah. So it's. I, I think that the tour is a little bit weird on that aspect. And you know, you think that you'd want to build the schedule for it to get those courses just like Augusta. But you know, how many courses in the world are like Augusta, and how many of them actually want to host a PJ Tour event? So, um, definitely a little bit hard to get that aspect. But I do think that. I mean, if you could have picked. I don't think there's any course on the PGA Tour that is any different from Augusta than, than the other courses. Like, they're so different. Science, but. Yeah. Yeah, it is wild, you know, but it's the week before a major. They used to have it down in Houston. Somehow Houston got moved to the fall. I'm not sure what the logistics were about deciding who got to stay in know. what spot because I do feel like it's very advantageous to be the week before Augusta because you get some guys you wouldn't normally get, especially at a tournament like the Valero. So, uh, by the way, I want to remind everybody, go see our good friends at Ring Family Dentistry. Ring Family Dentistry, the leading edge of technology. They've been delivering same-day crowns for more than 20 years here in Oklahoma City orthodontics, they've got it all. They do everything. Dental implants, you want it, they've got it. They let the patient make the decisions. Go see them. Ring Family Dentistry. Well, they will get you taken care of. Your comfort is their number one priority. Ring Family Dentistry. What you got, Sam? Uh, I just wanted to bring up Wesley Bryan, by the way. You know, he he was going through rehabbing his shoulder, uh, and I think he had to get a solo 51st finish in uh, this week at the Valspar um, and shot a final round 73 and wasn't able to get it done. And he was pretty candid on Twitter about it. He's like, it's been a long long journey and everything. And so I'll be definitely rooting for Wesley Bryan to to get back on tour and get some status. Yeah, that was a tough one, Taylor. Especially, did you see the way he made the cut on Friday? Did y'all see that? I did not see it. Taylor. I didn't see that. Okay, so I he, saw how it finished on on Sunday. Okay, but I didn't so see on uh, he. I mean, I, obviously, he had to make the cut to have a chance. So he's on the number. He started on the backside. He's on the number coming to number eight, par three. Hits the most god awful tee shot you have ever seen in your life. Left of the greenside bunker, I think it might have crossed a cart path. It was like under some trees. He goes over there, and again, he's on the number at three under. He has to get on his knees punch this ball out sideways into rough that is still left of the left greenside bunker. He gets that up and down, makes bogey, goes to number nine, needing birdie to make the, make the cut, makes birdie, and then doesn't get his card I, on the weekend. But it was a heroic effort Friday afternoon. I did see that shot on Twitter. I just didn't realize what it was for. Okay, you yeah. Know, I didn't realize the whole you know magnitude of the situation. Okay, yeah. There was a lot on the line for that shot. So, uh, you know, Wesley Bryan, he'll be back. He'll keep getting after it. But uh, great week at the Valspar. Good tournament. And Sam Burns wins it again. So he's the guy apparently going forward at the Valspar. Why don't we take a little break, come back on the other side. We've got a lot more to get into. We've got uh, Oklahoma State golf. We've got a lot of stuff. We've got a little bit of Saudi news. Greg Norman doing an interview last week. We've got some other stuff. Augusta changes. We'll talk a little March Madness. Everything coming up on the other side. Stay with us here on the 73rd Hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. When something the size of a golf ball hits your roof, you need to call McRae Roofing. McRae Roofing is Oklahoma's designer roofing service specialist. For years, Jeff McRae and the experienced team at McRae Roofing and Exteriors have served fellow Oklahomans by helping them with their roofing needs. McRae Roofing uses only top quality materials and professional crews to make sure that each job is done right so it will give you the years of service, security, and protection you need from the unpredictable Oklahoma weather. McRae Roofing offers residential and commercial roofing, ventilation services, and custom copper designs. McRae Roofing is dedicated to exceeding the homeowner's expectations. It's not just a roof, it is your home's crowning glory. Call McRae Roofing today at 405-692-4000. That's 405-692-4000. 
Make sure to also visit their website at mccrayroofing.com. That's M-C-R-A-Y roofing.com. Don't get caught with a leaking roof. Contact McRae Roofing for your free inspection today. We're back rolling along here on the 73rd hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Head over to GolfOklahoma.org. GolfOklahoma.org, our great partners here on the podcast. They do a great job covering everything in the state of Oklahoma, including the National Invitational Tournament, which took place in Tucson over the weekend. And Oklahoma State, big winners, 53 under par, 21 shots clear of second place Texas. Guys, it is wild just how loaded the top of college golf is. I mean, Arkansas is the number three team in the country. They finished eighth in this tournament. Went Oklahoma State, Texas, Pepperdine, Oklahoma, and Arizona. Those were your top five. And, uh, I mean, Sam, Oklahoma, for a while, looks like the clear number one team in the country. Oklahoma State just goes absolutely scorched earth in Tucson this week. I don't know who the best team in the country is. It, it seems like it goes back and forth, but well, what a weekend for Oklahoma State. My takeaways were, what a statement by OSU, because the teams below them like Texas, Pepperdine, and OU didn't play that bad. I mean, for instance, Patrick Welch and Logan McAllister, they both shot 210 for the golf tournament for three rounds, and that's not good enough to get you a top 15 this week. That's how high level the <laughs> golf was, and Eugenio Lopez Chikara was at the top of it, 65, 67, 64, 196. This guy's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Can, can I give you his finishes for the spring? Yes, His absolutely. finishes for the spring. They started at uh, Amorari, which was out in Hawaii. He won that tournament with the final round 62. Next tournament, the Gators. He finishes T3, final round 65. Ninth in Cabo, final round 69. T32 at the one event that he didn't play very well. And then he wins the NIT with a final round 64. Taylor, that is three of the five events this spring where his final round score has been 65 or lower Eugenio Lopez Chikara is, I mean, he's having himself one hell of a spring. He looks like a force to be reckoned with, and as an individual, I mean, certainly one of the favorites to hoist a, uh, a, a medalist trophy at Greyhawk. I mean, guys, golf isn't supposed to be this easy. It's not. And, you know, these boys, boys in this state are make, making this game look so easy. And, you know, just a little bit of tease for, for one of our interviews coming up. But Taguchi had some very high things to say about Lopez Chikara. So definitely I think that he's getting his name known not just around this place, but even guys out there on tour and the big names know that he's going to be a very solid tour player um, before too long. But, you know, look at it. Gupta finished third as well. Bo Jin and um, Ramos finished uh, T14 as well. So, I mean, they were just really solid play guys. Look at some more on the individuals. Cole Hammer from Texas finished fifth. Uh, got her up. Mo Yu finished ninth. Our boy... Logan McAllister, Patrick Welch all finished in the top 16. Brian Stark finished 16th as well. So, I mean, looking down at guys, it just looks like there's Big 12 left and right, especially with the state schools. And, you know, one thing I was texting with you guys that I didn't realize because I was looking it up because I, I was like, where in the hell is Pearson Cootie at for Texas? He moved up to number one in the PJ U rankings, and I'm like, I don't think he's played all year. Well, looking, looking on it, guys, him and his brother both broke their arms running a relay race. And I'm like, what in the world do you have to do to make that happen, especially in December? So that, that must have been know, an aggressive. That had to have been an aggressive passing of the baton in the re- <laughs> in the relay race. The relay race. That sounds like a great, great excuse for going out uh, in Austin one night and something goes terribly, terribly <laughs> yeah, wrong. Yeah, they were relay racing on Sixth Street at about one thirty in the morning. Is what it sounds like, Tyler. That 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 probably is what happened. I'll tell you what, though, you have to do some convincing to make sure that that's the news that gets out there. So, you know what, you guys are probably right on that aspect. I forgot what it was like to be in college and do a bunch of stupid stuff. So that is probably what happened. But let's try to get back to the golf here. So, you know, just to put in perspective how good OSU played. So they beat Texas. He finished second by 21 strokes. Texas shot 272 on, on the final round, which was the best round, by the way. So OSU won by 21 strokes. There's the same amount of strokes that Texas in second beat number number 10 UCLA by. Or not UCLA, I'm sorry, um, USC. Um, the fight Lincoln Riley's out there. So, you know, the difference <laughs> right between second and 10th was the exact same as first to second with OSU. So, and, and let's put this into perspective, guys. They didn't just go to some random college tournament and win by 21 strokes. They beat Texas, Pepperdine, OU, 
Arizona, Illinois, New Mexico, Arkansas, and Tennessee, all teams that are ranked on golf, on golf stat within the top 30, and the majority of those guys are ranked in the top 13. So I, I think we're on to something here with, you know, who's going to play the best at Greyhawk that week? I think that's what it's going to come down to. And I, I just hope, guys, I just pray that, you know, we see all these great teams here. It wouldn't surprise me if the names that I listed right there, if six or seven of those are, are the teams that make it into match play. I just – I really don't want to see – I mean, heaven forbid OU or OSU plays bad in the match play. And it may be better if my scenario happens for them to win a national title. But, you know, it would be a shame if, like, Texas didn't make the match play, if Pepperdine didn't make the match play. Um, even Arkansas, who's not fifth, they didn't have a very good week this week. But you would think they would make the match play, especially like they did last week. So, you know, I think, guys, I think we're building up to something really special this year at, at Greyhawk. But, guys, we're building up so high, I just hope it doesn't get deflated on us at some point. I don't think it will, but that's what I'm worried about, guys. I really am. Yeah, T-Dub, I thought that I saw three things that were the biggest story of this week. Number one was Amon Gupta. I know that a lot of people would say it's Chikara, but Chikara's going to give you that every single week. He's shown shown that to us. But Amon Gupta to go out there and shoot 68, 65, 69, 202 for the tournament and finish third as a guy that hasn't played that much so far this year in the starting lineup, that is huge. Now, another thing for OSU is Bo Jin wasn't even in the starting five and he goes out there and finishes tied for 14th and so we can see a completely different lineup and you know who wasn't there out of those six guys Jonas Baumgartner yeah and so and, yeah. and so they are so deep up in Stillwater they have guys to choose from about who's playing good before regionals and before the national championship that makes OSU very very scary coming down the stretch all right number two my surprise was Cole Hammer Cole Hammer defending big 12 champion for Texas is playing some golf now 68 67 70 205 on the week tied for fifth um, and then obviously uh, Pepperdine that that now this was a big story to me that didn't get talked about or that we haven't talked about was William Mao finishes seventh in the golf tournament as an individual. He didn't qualify for yeah. the starting five for Pepperdine, and it ended up, you know, I, I mean, OSU ran away with it, but it cost him, cost him some strokes because uh, William Mao ends up shooting 65, 72, 69, 206 for the golf tournament, uh, and Pepperdine, uh, you know, finishes third in the golf tournament, and uh, Dylan Minanti uh, was their best finisher on the starting five that he tied William Mao, who was playing as an individual. Yeah. Uh, and then for the OU fans, Chris Goddard, up uh, was their best finisher tied for ninth 69 67 71 for the golf tournament and so you know OU looking great as well like I like I said to start it was just OSU played lights out and sometimes you just run into a buzzsaw yeah and you look at the depth you mentioned William Meow as an individual William Meow as an individual <laughs> you mentioned him as an individual yeah. for yeah, as an individual for Pepperdine and then Bo Jen as an individual for Oklahoma State this tournament was out in Arizona you know national championship is out in Arizona Bo Jen William Meow both played very well last year out in Arizona right. Sam you've played this golf course yep I mean I, obviously, it's not going to be a, a replica of Greyhawk. Any similarities at all um, when you look at desert-style golf? You know, it, it, it's a little different. You know, the desert at Greyhawk is more penalizing than the desert is uh, out of Arizona's course. Uh, it, it's more just dirt and sand out of Arizona's course. Okay. It, it, you know what I mean? It, it, it's more wide open. It doesn't feel like desert golf as much to me uh, out at the Omni. But You still get that similar weather, though, the similar, yeah, I mean, the ball, well, ball travels further, stuff I, like that. And I will say the weather's going to be extremely different this time of year than it will be for the national championship. When I played in this tournament. Yeah, national I, championships, not for a little more than two months still. So I, I think I was still playing at Tulsa when I played in this tournament, but I just distinctly remember it being below freezing while we're hitting balls warming up. You know, it, it can get super cold in the desert there. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't know what the weather was this week. I think it was pretty pretty close to perfect um and you might see that at the national championship so that might be some similarities just, obviously just judging by the scores i don't think the wind was yeah, up <laughs> obviously the grass is is pretty similar to Greyhawk as well um and then uh, at one last thing on ou uh ou started chris goddard up patrick welch the cross-handed bandit logan McAllister, stephen campbell and drew goodman now drew goodman their last tournament finished second uh, this tournament, he finishes tied for 43rd, and
win. Ben Lorenz, uh, who came as an individual for OU, finished top 25. Uh, so you might see a little bit of a lineup change for OU as well. Uh, you would think that uh, Rayhan Thomas uh, probably gets bumped out for OSU next tournament uh, for Bo Jin. And so we'll have to keep an eye on uh, the lineup changes between OU, OSU, and Pepperdine uh, coming down the stretch here because they have more than you know more than six guys playing good golf right now. It's crazy. Yeah, absolutely, they do. They've got a bunch of guys just grooving it out there in the fairway. You can groove it. The Groove It brush. <laughs> Give them a look. This thing is the absolute best. I went to the range last week, first time in a while. I had my new Groove It brush on the side of my bag, fill it up with some water. You take about 10 swings with that wedge. That wedge is beat up after 10 <laughs> swings digging in the dirt, especially the way I dig it in. Take that Groove It brush, a little water, wipe it off, brand new golf club, Groove It brush. Use our promo code 73rd hole to get 10% off. Promo code 73rd hole to get 10% off. Groove It brush. You will not be disappointed. 73RD, H-O-L-E. Yes, 73RD. Yep, good, good call spelling that out. 73RD hole for 10% off. Um, uh, gentlemen, let's talk a little bit about the interview Greg Norman did uh, at the end of last week and talk about the, the Saudi schedule. We've got uh, some stuff coming up, so some good things talking about it, but let's dive into it a little bit. Greg Norman did do an interview. And, some uh, stuff coming up as far as you know our interview with Gooch. Yes, yes. Yeah. We talked about it with him a little bit, kind of get a tour player's perspective. Now, Greg Norman went on, and Greg Norman, of course, the CEO of Live Golf Investments, which is backed by the uh, Saudi Arabia Public Investment Fund. He appeared on Gary Williams's Five Clubs podcast, and Gary Williams did ask him some of the tougher questions. He asked him about where the money was coming from. Greg Norman didn't really give any answers on it. It was a lot of, I'm not a politician, I'm focused on growing the game, kind of skirted it. He was asked about Phil. He said Phil made a mistake saying some of the stuff that he said. Uh, and, you, you know, he's like, everybody's entitled to their opinion. Everybody can make mistakes. Um, what I thought was interesting is he did say that what happened to uh, the journalist a couple of years ago in Saudi Arabia is reprehensible, which I was surprised to hear Greg Norman say just because he is kind of in with the Saudis. This is all just so sensitive and so unique that – I mean, I don't know what I expect from Greg Norman, but all these interviews are just so awkward. I, Taylor, what are you drawing from uh, Greg Norman talking about and trying to get this league off the ground? Yeah, I think that, you know, guys, it's it's been so up and down. I mean, you know, two months ago we thought that this was like, you know, we thought we were going to have five of the top ten players go. And now, and then two weeks, or at the Genesis, we thought that they weren't even going to have anything. And so now we're on here. So, you know, Norman's in, in a weird boat because he's in, somewhat of damage control he's in somewhat of you know you got to somewhat keep the the ethics clear on that aspect and so definitely fighting an uphill battle here but he it seems to me like he's just stuck on his mission wants to get this ball rolling and at least see see what it can do and you know guys i, I want to tell me i got an opinion on this and it might be slightly controversial tell me what y'all think about this so it seems to me like the biggest complaint besides the ethics of the tour have been you know, this is going to be a bridge between the PGA Tour and the Champions Tour. And, and you know what? That's probably rightfully so when you look at the players that are listed. But, you know, you've seen, like, the example is that the senior writer at Golf Digest and Lee Westwood getting into it. And, you know, the, the writer, I forget his name off the top of my head, my apologies, but, you know, said something along the lines of, you know, could you imagine, talking about referring to Trump National, referring from hosting the PGA Championship to watching um, Lee Westwood Jason Kokrak battle it out and you know you know everyone keeps talking about how how poor that the golf is going to be but but to me that doesn't make any sense because if you're going to talk and say that the that the Saudi league golf is going to be bad with the players that they're bringing you have to instinctively say that the, that the champions tour is worse than that and you have to say the champions tour is a diluted product but no one's saying that are they we weren't saying that last year going into the senior PGA championship and rightfully so is some of the best golf I'd ever witnessed so I don't know, guys. Just tell me what you're thinking about that. I think the argument that, that the that the golf is just going to be so boring and diluted, I think is just misguided because, yes, it's not going to be as good as they want. It's not going to be as good as the Champions Tour. But it's still going to be good golf. It's going to be better golf than probably what's going on in the Champions Tour right now, and I still love to watch that. So, I don't know, guys. What What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think that the Live Golf Invitational, I think the idea was to compete with the PGA Tour, not necessarily the Champions Tour, and the Champions Tour doesn't compete with the PGA Tour. So I, I think that 
it's more comparing it in relation to the PGA Tour than the Champions Tour because in relation to the PGA Tour, I mean, if, if they get some of these guys that they're talking about and they get this Live Golf Invitational started, it's not like I'm not going to watch Henrik Stinson, Justin Rose, Lee Westwood, and Bryson play 54 holes with a shotgun start at Pumpkin Ridge. I'm just <laughs> – that that's not interesting golf because there's going to be a PGA Tour event that week. And I'm going to watch the PGA Tour event that week because I think it's probably going to be a better event. So I, I understand what you're saying. Like, yes, there's going to be some names if, if this does happen and some guys go. But I'm comparing it to the PGA Tour. And in comparison to that, I think the product would be much, much worse. I yeah, And, and Colby, Colby, just real quick, just on that point, it's, I, I get what you're saying on that point. But you just said right there, it's like, you know, you're not going to watch Hendrick Stinson and all these people play at Pumpkin Ridge. Well, if you came out and said, well, I'm not going to watch Bernhard Langer, Miguel Jimenez, Ratif Goosen, um, Freddie Couples, you know, play at, you know, blah, blah, blah tournament and for three rounds when they're playing from 6,800 yards or whatever, is that not the same thing, though? I don't watch the Champions Tour. <laughs> do you? <laughs> yes, I, yeah, not all the time, but yes, I do. But my point is, is that why, why, are you, why are people not slamming how bad the Champions Tour is? And because it's the same principle, right? Like, like, we're not getting paid to watch it. We're getting paid to, to talk about it, obviously. So it's just my point is, is that if you're going to talk and say that certain golf is bad golf, you're not going to watch it, you need to say it no matter what the level is. And, and that's just the whole point I'm trying to make. Is like if, you're gonna, if people are going to come out and say that the Saudi Tour, what they're going to bring out is going to be hard to watch and going to be horrible to watch, you have to say that about the Champions Tour, and frankly, you have to say about the LPGA Tour, and you have to say it about all the Asian Tour, you have to say about any of these other tours. So I, I think just that the people arguing about it's going to be bad golf, I think, you know, what is bad golf then in that aspect? So that, that's just the argument I'm trying to I, I just think it's a little apples to oranges because, I mean, these leagues exist, and this league, these leagues don't try to compete with the PGA Tour, whereas the Live Golf Invitational, it's A, a startup. So, I mean, you're going to talk about what quality of golf you're going to get. I mean, if the Champions Tour was starting up this summer, I'm sure we'd talk about, is this going to be something that gets ratings? Is this something people are going to be interested in? Whereas, I mean, the Saudi League, it is a startup. So I, I just I think that aspect of it is different. Sam, hop in here. What, what do you kind of think about uh, – you know, the Saudis trying well, to get this going with the schedule. I do think that T-Dub's comparison was a little apples to oranges. I want to go a little bit different direction on this. I think that, um, you know, what what is the same from when they first announced the SGL or the Live Golf Invitation, all that stuff? What What's the same from six months ago? The guaranteed money is still there. Oh, yeah. Okay. $400 so, million they're pouring into just this one, this one so, season. So what has changed now? Phil came out and said what he said, and people didn't like it. Okay, said the quiet part out loud. Exactly, said the quiet part out loud. People didn't like it. Okay, so then it deterred guys. Some guys spoke out heavily against it. Rory McIlroy. Okay, but the guaranteed money is still there, and as time goes on, people are going to forget what Phil said and remember that that guaranteed money is still there. I wouldn't be surprised to see even some guys that maybe spoke out quietly against it, such as a Bryson or a, uh, or a DJ or maybe some other guys in the world go over there. And it, like I've said from the beginning, if you take one, two, three guys per year and, you know, top-ranked players, you're going to have a decent product. If you have Bryson over there, if you have whatever – you know, a 30th-ranked player in the world or something like that, you're going to have a decent product. And I think that the guaranteed money is still a big, big thing to some of those guys out there, maybe just not the top-ranked guys that didn't want to take the PR hit. Now, here's the other thing as far as, you know, the SGL and, and everything. Now, Greg Norman came out and said that he would take the PGA Tour to court on – the fact that they would ban the guys for playing it over in Saudi because he said that the PGA Tour players are independent contractors and that they are allowed to make whatever decision they want. Where do you guys stand on that? I tend to side with the PGA Tour on that, that they should be allowed to ban somebody if they are a member of the PGA Tour and they are doing something that hurts the PGA Tour. I feel like that's a suspendable or bannable offense, right? So, so let me give a quick clarification on a rule that already existed within the PGA Tour. So based on a 15-event schedule, the PGA Tour has to give players releases to play on other tours. Now, it is in the tour rulebook, handbook, whatever it's called. 
those releases are not granted for tournaments played in North America. So half of this Live Golf Invitational schedule is set in North America. So the releases to those tournaments, it's been established for a long time that the PGA Tour doesn't give releases to North America. So that wouldn't necessarily work. So Taylor, I don't know. You look at the schedule that Live Golf has put out and some of these in North America, even if Greg Norman says we'll take you to court over banning guys from, from playing on the tour, I mean, the tour has said for forever we're not granting releases for North America. So is there any work around with that, Taylor? Or is this just another thing that the Live Golf Invitational is kind of fighting an uphill battle on? Yeah, I, I think that when you, when you add all this up, I think that if they went to court, the PGA Tour would win um, because simply, like you said, it's in the handbook. All these players have signed off on this. And that's something that when I first initially got into it, I thought, you know, this doesn't make any sense. You know, independent contracts can do what they want. Well, the difference is – when you're an independent contractor and you sign off on something, you have to do what you sign off on. And, you know, I, I think that from this aspect, too, I, I think that, like I said, the PJ Tour would win. But, you know, I think one thing is that a lot of people have been, you know, one of the things that came out whenever they had the mandatory player meeting was that they did not mention the term lifetime bans. And that was something the PJ Tour was adamant about, or at least the people covering the PJ Tour were adamant that the PJ Tour didn't say. And, you know, I, I will say this. I during that same time, like literally they would say that. And then 10 minutes later, they showed Kevin Strillman getting interviewed and they said, um, yeah, you know, Jay Monahan has had the same opinion that he's had the whole time where, you know, if you go onto this, you know, if you go play the Saudis, you're not welcome back. And, you know, if you're not welcome back somewhere, you're not welcome back forever. Like you don't just go to a restaurant and they tell you you're not welcome back and you can go back in five years. Yeah, but right? I don't believe Jay Monahan for a second when he says that. If Bryson goes over there, he's banned while he's playing on the whatever SGL Live Tour, whatever you want to call it, over in Saudi. If Bryson goes over there and he gets banned for a year while he's playing over there and says, "I want to come back to the PGA Tour," you really think that they have the onions to say, "No, Bryson, you stay away. You can go do whatever you want to do. You're banned from the PGA Tour." No, they. Of course they're not going to do that. They don't they they aren't going to take the cut money cut to do that. You wouldn't think they would, you know. It seems like a lot of times nowadays guys everyone's trying to play the moralist part and play the high ground. So if it was just Bryson, I could see where maybe they would try to do it. But in reality, I think it would be a group of players that come back and, and try to do it. But you know, I, I do think this guys, I do think that I don't know how often this happens, you know, a big deal about the MLB with the players' union and them disputes, you know, the NFL had to lock out, what, 10 years ago or whatever. But, you know, I think that for this to change, I think that's going to – that has to be like a players have to get with the PGA Tour and change that in the handbook because, you know, I, I do think that will be something that probably gets done within the next, I don't know, 10 years or so where, <clears throat> you know, players will have more options to go play other tournaments because, you know, sort of to that point about Bryson, it's, you know, would the tour rather have a guy play five events on the tour that year or no events on the tour that year? And the answer is five. Well, you know, you could try to say that, well, some players aren't going to be allowed back if they do it. But once you see enough players that, that are able to, to make a move and do that, because, you know, like we talked about this before, guys, this isn't going to be the last time a rival tour tries to start up. You know, it's going to be around. It's going to happen. And, you know, what excuse the PGA Tour going to make next time? So, you know, I, I think that for it to be changed, guys, it's not necessarily going to happen in, in court with the – uh, live golf versus PJ Tour. It's going to be PJ Tour players negotiating with their um, player contracts. Whatever you, it's not contracts, it's anything. But however you phrase it, you know, getting that wording right to to where they have a little bit more freedom. Because going back to what Colby was saying, I think that not even just you're not allowed in North America, but you know the PJ Tour players are only allowed I think three events per year that aren't on the PJ Tour. So I, I think those are all numbers that I think will get changed within the next five or ten years. And just real quick, that's three releases from the PGA Tour per season. So if Live Golf, like they are, they're doing their uh, schedule from, what is it, June or July through the mm -hmm. fall. Right. The PGA Tour season resets after the FedEx Cup playoffs. So theoretically, and again, if these tournaments weren't in North America, because you don't get releases in North America, you could play three events before the Tour Championship, three events for the Live Golf Invitational after the Tour Championship, and you could actually end up getting six releases for a Live Golf Invitational season because it would be in two different PGA seasons. Tour seasons. Right. There are, I mean, there are so many intricacies to this and so many weird rules well, and releases and stuff, Sam. It's just, it's, 
it's a lot to keep track of. Right. And just to kind of finish it off, you know, you were talking about the strikes, whether it be in basketball, football, or baseball. Well, what are the PGA Tour players wanting and golfers in general wanting is guaranteed money, right? And so the guaranteed money, like Taylor Gooch said, and you'll, you guys will hear it later on this week, he was saying, if I go, it, it, he was talking about JT Real Muto, right? And he was saying, if JT goes over for a whole month, it doesn't cost him anything, right? But if Taylor Gooch goes over for a month, it costs him like 200 grand, right? And so I think that coming up in the future, whether it be this succeeds or something else succeeds, I don't necessarily think anything will ever overtake the PGA Tour, but Money is important to these guys, and they don't have just buckets and buckets of guaranteed money. Some guys do. The top guys do. But, you know, these guys being offered guaranteed money, and it's worth its weight in gold, literally, to these guys. Yeah, it is. I mean, there's a lot of money being tossed around here, and I, I don't know. It'll just be interesting to see how this progresses, to see if Greg Norman continues to do interviews, and to see if some of these questions get answered, namely, who's going to be playing? I mean, Colby, what, what do you think about, you know – do you think – because in my opinion, I think that some guys will recant on their statements and go over there and play. What do you think? I, man, I, I still don't know. I really don't because I feel like we're just waiting for the first guy to do it. I feel like there's a lot of guys who want somebody else to be the first guy to do it because they want to see what the reaction is going to be. Right. And see – and then they can judge to themselves – is it just worth how it? everyone was quiet until Phil said it, and then everyone yes. was like, "Yeah, yeah, screw you, yeah, Phil." Hundred percent, because the reaction <laughs> that I think everybody wants somebody else to be the first guy to go do it, and I don't know how long it's going to be until somebody uh, comes out and says it. But I mean, they've they've got some decent golf courses on the list. They've got uh, some some tournaments in Europe and some tournaments in Asia. So you know. Does it happen? I don't know. Is it with names we recognize? I don't know. I really don't. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a mystery at this point. So, uh, you know, we were talking about Oklahoma State being out in Arizona. Arizona finished top five in that golf tournament. Arizona played a bard burner last night. Boys, how are your brackets? T-Dub, how's your bracket holding up? Absolutely terrible. It's, it's been a dumpster <laughs> for quite some time. For quite some time, it's been a dumpster. Sam, you've got Arizona going all the way, right? I do have Arizona going all the way. This is one of the best brackets I've ever had. I, I only have 11 of the Sweet 16, but I have the most points available in every single one of my bracket pools. Okay. So that is your entire Final Four still alive? My entire Final Four is still alive. Gonzaga, UCLA, Arizona, and Kansas. Okay. Okay, so we're, we're alive. The only thing that scares me is... I don't know who to root for in this next game between the Houston Cougars and Arizona. Oh, because your boy Kelvin. Hey, yeah. I go Houston. My man Kelvin, man. Kelvin's bringing it home. Dude, I, Kelvin but, with his shirt off yesterday was the best uh, moment of the tournament so far. Yeah, yeah. Kelvin was really good in the locker room. But, <laughs> I mean, how much money's on the line here? I mean, you don't have to throw out a number. I'm just saying, is there a number in these bracket pools you're in that makes it worth it to root against your boy Kelvin? The Oak Tree Pool is the one that I want to win. Let's just say that. Okay. So, so basically, that kind of means you've got a little bit of a happiness edge for the Arizona-Houston game. If, if Houston wins, you'll be really happy for Kelvin. And right. if Arizona wins, you'll be really happy for you. Exactly. Win, so win. I'll probably root for Houston uh, because that's what I did with Davis Riley this week. I rooted for Davis Riley and my pick won. Happiness edge. My, my pick of Sam Byrne. Sam Burns won, so it's going to be the same thing with Arizona. Taylor, how about you and I out here just failure all over the place and Sam has happiness hedges every day because he's on both <laughs> sides of everything. Yeah, what, so what is it, the disappointment hedge, I guess, is kind of where we're at? We are at no the disappointment hedge, yes. Just, like, I had, by the way, Taylor, last week you told us that you were about to go on a legendary heater in the one and done. I was curious, how'd that end he up starting? He misspoke, he actually meant Sam. <laughs> I think I think what happened was, guys, I got my heaters mixed up because I, I dominated the DraftKings pool this week, had all six make the cut. I wanted to miss the cut, Abe. Answer, thanks a lot, buddy. But um, you know, I think that those will change around at some point, and I may even get on both of them to be legendary heaters, guys. That's kind of what I'm shooting for. But you know, I think I'm starting to learn, guys, that I think the podcast itself only has so much luck to go around, and I think Sam with his bracket is riding the majority of the luck right now. Uh, and speak, the one and done. Speaking too. of brackets, how does one and done work for a match play? I can't remember. Uh, great question. We picked two golfers this week, Tyler. Yeah, and there's opposite field events. 
um, Pooch Pana as well. Oh, so yeah, we that's right. So three golfers yeah, this so week? We'll, so we'll pick two at the match play, and then we'll pick one at Punta Cana. And for the match play, it's uh, basically all the guys who don't advance out of the first round, they all get the same money. And then all the guys who get knocked out in the next round, they all get the same money. You pick the winner, you get the, the big pot, 1.8 or 2.1, whatever the purse is going to be for the winner. Um, so, I mean, yeah, you just want to pick guys to go as far as possible. It's, it's one of those weeks where, obviously, to WGC, it's a big purse, but it's also match play, so it does get a little bit random. It gets a little bit weird, and with three of the top 25 not in the field this week, that's going to allow a few more guys at the bottom in. Cam Smith is out, Sam Burns is out, and Harris English is still out with a right hip injury. So, yeah, it, uh, match play always gets a little weird. Is Bryson playing this week? Bryson is playing. Bryson's back. Oh, that means that he's going to get beat first round like our boy Tony Rosner did last year, remember? Uh, I do, I do, yeah. Uh, but they, do, they don't do single elimination anymore. They do the whole soccer pool thing. Round robin, yeah. yeah. Guys got tired of going down and playing 12 holes and going home. <laughs> Boys, did you see the changes that Augusta National has made? Uh, so the you, overhead shots. You sent the picture looking overhead at 12 green and 13 tee box. And 13 tee box, there's been rumors for years that they might tweak it. Might Well, they bought the land. They bought the land there. behind 13 tee box. Yeah. These pictures indicate that something could be going on. Now, there's no concrete evidence. It looks to me like there's a tee box already back there. Taylor, do you think there's a tee box back there? I think there. I think there's preparation for a tee box. I think that. I don't. I don't think there's any way Augusta National is gonna. I think they could take the trees out and make it happen if they wanted to. But they've already. <laughs> could announced you imagine if we see these pictures? These pictures are from what? What middle of March? I guess. I. I think so. Uh, I think they're pretty recent pictures. Imagine if they and we'll tweet these pictures out. Imagine if they make this tee box and take out all those trees in like. Three weeks. They could do it. I mean, if anybody can do it, it's uh, it's Augusta, right, Taylor? They could. I, I, I Like I said, I, they've already announced the changes to 11 and, thir- and 15, so I don't think that they will this year. I think that'd be 2023 um, for when Tiger comes back. Um, but, but, guys, <laughs> did y'all see the 11th fairway? That hole looks so much better than it used to. Oh, it's so yeah. good. The changes they made on 11 are so, so good. I think that that gets the hole back. I was reading about it. You know, the approach shot on number 11 is supposed to be a little bit risk-reward with that water on the left. If you really want to take on the pin, you, you go after it, and there's more of a variance in scores. The way they've had the, the whole design recently, everybody plays it out to the left, and then everybody, because that angle is so diabolical coming from that side, everybody just bails out short right and tries to well, get up and down. I thought it was like one of the hardest driving holes in the world because you have yeah. you know OB left, and then everyone seemed to bail right off the tee like you, have into to, the you almost gap. had to hit a banana ball off that tee box. Yeah, and so, if the wind is blowing off your right, that was an extremely hard tee shot. And yep. so we saw a lot of guys in the right trees, and it kind of took away from the excitement of the hole to yeah, me a yeah. little bit. You had the tiger gap over there. But, Taylor, I think that this could actually lead to more guys coming into the green from a better angle. Right. And we can maybe even get a few more balls in the water because guys are trying to be more aggressive and have a higher variance of scores instead of everyone in the but field making four or five, which is what's been happening. To, to finish that off real quick, to, uh, I mean, uh, Colby, I think that – what they're doing now, making it a little more straight, is what the hole was meant to be in the first place. Right? I think so too. What do you think, Tyler? That, I mean, that's exactly it. You can go on. I don't know the exact uh, exact article, but just uh, Google Augusta National hole changes, and you can go year by year, every single time that they've changed it. And that's originally how the hole was. It's a lot straighter. But, you know, the same is on the same for a lot of holes out there in Augusta. But you know, fairly generous fairways is what it was originally designed as, and. You know, for anyone who hadn't seen the picture, so they took out a lot of the trees on the right. There's essentially, I believe, three or four just kind of solo trees there. So I think you'll see a lot more, you know, if you do hit it in those in that right portion. Because the hole is 15, or I think 15 yards longer now. So you will see it's going to be a little bit longer approach shots. But at the same time, you know, if you hit it in those trees, you're not going to have to hit it through like 80 of them and hope it rolls through the pine straw. You'll be able to work. You know, probably draw even little fades. You won't see Tiger over in his secret fairway over there. Yeah, the secret fairway is is now the what the trees are supposed to be. And (laughs) you know, Colby made a good point because you know, with the way the hole was, you're coming in on the left side. The water is essentially in front of you. It's essentially in front of the green. And now, with it being more straighter, the pond is going to be more on the left side comparatively. So, I think it's going to be a lot. uh, It's going to be a lot better hole, and it's going to add to a few lower scores. 
I think that number 10 is the only hole in the course of, of the Masters history that's played tougher than 11. Um, but I, I do think 11 will play a little bit easier with these changes than it has in the last few years, just because, well, the main reason the fairway is going to be 20 yards wide. Also, the grandstands are up for the first time in two years. Oh, and aren't they beautiful? They are beautiful. Behind number 12, T. I think whenever I get to go to Augusta for the first time, I think the spot that I really want to get to the most is in those grandstands. No, you don't want to be in those grandstands. Those are really far back. You want to, you want to, you want to be on the ropes right there. You want to get a lawn chair or a master's chair and go sit right behind the ropes on on uh, 12 because it's a little bit of a hill, so you can still see 11 green just fine. But from, I mean, from those grandstands, they're a little bit further back, but you can still see all the tee shots yeah, clearly on 12 fine. and stuff. Yeah, yeah, of course, but you the best spot to be, it, when you go to Augusta, the first place you go to take your chair, you walk, you don't run, but you walk straight to behind 12 tee box. Yeah. It's the best place on the course. Yeah, that, and then I've heard uh, that the grandstands. grandstands, yeah. but, I mean, you're not getting in there. It's like, yeah. it's like. Uh, <laughs> is that like 16 at I mean, there's like, there's like 200 spots, and that's where everyone wants to sit. Is that like get there at 4.30 a.m. and then power walk to where you're wanting to get to if you want to get in those grandstands? And most of the time, they're already taken at that point, yeah. too. Yeah, sounds about right. But, I mean, guys, um, Augusta's right around the corner. It we're, is we're right two, around the corner. We're two weeks from Masters By week. the way, is taking a picture of Augusta National from overhead punishable by the full extent of the law? Uh, that's Now, are these are they getting these from, like, Google Earth? I don't know. I think these are just no, Google it's, Earth. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a company called Eureka or something like that. They've done it for the last time of the year. You know Augusta's years. already um, been on the phone with them. <laughs> oh, there's some sort of there's some sort of deal they got going on because they've done, like I said, they've done this ever since Tiger won in 2019. I remember looking at them like that. And so, that they were they were famous for the images last year, guys, of showing Augusta before they overseeded. Remember that and how dark it or how yes. brown it was. Then it went green. They, they, these are the same people, same pictures. Same okay, pictures. okay, yeah. very nice, very nice. So it's uh, legal. Yeah, it's legal. So Masters is on the horizon. That's coming up. Going to be a lot of fun. Match play uh, this week, which I guess we're going to preview tomorrow. Kind of mm-hmm. figure out who we we like to come out of the groups. It's just a big That'll guessing be a fun game. Show. It will be. It would. The match play is always fun. It's five days of golf. It's a long, long week for the players. It's a long week for the fans and the spectators and everybody. And uh, we'll have our preview out early since it starts probably, on Wednesday. Probably the most preparation we have to do as a show: picking guys before a tournament. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to factor <laughs> there's in. There's a lot to factor in. Yes, because I remember that last year, I did more preparation. I had them all written down and everything. Yeah, and, and we're we're recording this Monday morning. Brackets uh, should be released midday right. today, whenever the field and is finalized with the withdrawal from Sam Burns. If and, you remember, I had Tony Rosner beating Bryson in the first round. You did, you did. A little bit of a homer pick, but I respect the homer <laughs> pick because it paid off. So that's good stuff. Uh, good stuff, fellas. We will be back tomorrow to preview the WGC match play. So, uh, yeah, good stuff. Big announcement coming later in the week. Keep an eye out for that. Big, big announcement coming later in the week. Big things happening here on the 73rd hole. Everybody have a great day. We're back tomorrow with more on the 73rd hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma.